All right. Good morning, Highlight Church. How are you this morning? Let's try this one more time. All right, good morning, Highlight Church. How's it? There we go. Amazing. Like, first-time guests just totally judged me as prideful. What's he doing? He needs to come out here and get to the word. Hey, man, it's so amazing to see you. Um, we're continuing in our series entitled Chosen. Um, we've been going through the book of Ephesians since, um, dang it, May 7th. It's been a marathon, verse by verse, section by section. Um, God dictating the frequency and uh, the quality of what it is we discuss. It's, you know, we haven't been, been able to preach about forgiveness or just love or just faith or just a specific topic all summer. You know, one week I'm, I'm talking about how you're chosen, and the next week we're talking about how, uh, you know, it's wise to avoid sexual immorality. And whenever you go through verse by verse of the Bible, you just can't choose what it is you preach. You can't pray and say, well, God laid something on my heart. Well, God put it right here. So we've just been verse by verse all summer. Um, And so we end this series August 27th, and we're starting a brand new series on September the 3rd entitled The Winner's Circle. Uh, Cast a little vision here. Uh, That Saturday on September the 2nd, we're going to, uh, do our Winner's Circle prayer walk uh, around the city of Gaithersburg. And so uh, we'll outline uh, that in more detail, but it's going to be a walk of faith where we're going to pray uh, for our city and our county and the state of Maryland. And uh, it's going to be an amazing thing. I believe uh, we're going to bear much fruit over the next two to three years because of that walk of faith that we're going to take. Uh, and the winner circle is all about how to win in every area of life. We're going to do it for five weeks. Can we do it? We can do it. Good. But we got, a, got Ephesians, so let's get to work. Um, I am so excited to see all your faces. Let's give it up for our first-time guests. Thank you for joining us this morning. Um, and I actually believe today's word is... In season, I think it's perfect. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's perfect. Let's read here our verse this morning. Ephesians 6, we're going to do three verses, 10 through 12. 10 through 12, and it says this. Paul says, a final word. Uh, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand against, stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting, catch this. I need you to catch this, okay? Uh, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. The, the, the battle isn't against you and your mother, or you and your spouse, or your dad that wasn't there. Satan wants you to think it is, but it's not. Um but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Um, Who watched the uh, Super Bowl 51 this year? All right, show of hands. uh, Who was shooting for Atlanta? 
Someone, ah, it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts a lot. Um, New England. Dang, man. I'm with Brady all day. Um, so we, we saw in, in the first half where it was like, yeah, man, Atlanta's about to take this thing home. Uh, they're going into halftime. I think it was 21-3. 72,000 people in the stadium. Uh, halftime, 21-3. We're like, what in the world is going on with New England? How in the world is Tom Brady the greatest quarterback ever? He's really not showing it right now. And so the third quarter, um, the score, I believe it was 28-3 to three or not. Three. Okay, we have someone in the crowd that <laughs> is avid. I thought it was nine, but because I got my facts right here, but I'm trying to memorize because I'm trying to be a great speaker. So it was 28-9 for sakes of um, what I have here. Um, and then we, we just see New England turn the corner. They, they rev up the defense in the fourth quarter. They rev up the offense. Atlanta scores no points in the fourth quarter, and New England scores 19 to force uh, overtime. So it was nine in the third quarter. And it becomes, it becomes 28-28, and they force an overtime in the Super Bowl, 51. And uh, New England goes on to win by scoring the first touchdown, 34-28. They're the Super Bowl champs. Atlanta had this thing in the back. They had it in the back. The entire city had called off of work for Monday. They were going to party. They were going to sleep in. It was going to be all good. So many businesses lost money because they shut down the city. Atlanta had this thing in the back. And then the next morning, I turn on the news, and they're heading back to Atlanta on their bus. And, you know, the telecasters are saying, oh, great job, guys. You did a phenomenal job, phenomenal effort. And as far as I'm concerned, if you make it all the way to the Super Bowl and you're up 21 to three at halftime and you don't win, you didn't do a good job. Not in my eyes. That's, I don't think you did a good job. This is for it all. This is for it all. And so we'd attribute their victory to Brady. Um, we'd attribute the victory to the defense. We'd attribute their victory to the great play and the great comeback. But I, I think we're missing one key point here, um, one, one key thing about the New England Patriots is that uh, in a stadium of 72,000 people, there are 15 people, or 15 men more specifically, that had everything to do with New England Patriots winning the Super Bowl this past year. 15 men sitting in unseen high places. 15 men that were calling the shots so that New England could execute. 15 men that you could not see that you don't hear about, that the newscasters don't report, that ESPN and SportsCenter don't talk about, 15 men. See, y'all thought I had lost my scripture. Y'all know I don't get lost. You know I don't get lost. You're getting bored. You're just up here looking at me like, when is he going to preach the Bible? 15 men that we don't see sitting in high places of authority that Tom Brady must listen to. And these guys are... You know, they're finding the holes and they're finding the gray areas in Atlanta's defense and they're picking them apart and they're being strategic because they've studied Atlanta all year and all season and all playoffs and, and they know Atlanta. They know when Atlanta gets up. They know when Atlanta goes to sleep. They know Atlanta's vices. They know, they know Atlanta's habits. They know Atlanta's struggles. And, and they just, they picked them apart in the fourth quarter and in overtime and it was 15 men calling the shots. 
from high and unseen places in the stadium. I want to let you know that there is an enemy of your soul. There's an enemy of your soul, and he doesn't want you to experience God's best for your life. This is what Paul is telling the church of Ephesus. He says, we don't war against people. New England's battle wasn't against the Falcons. It was against a coaching staff in Atlanta that was getting the best of them. So their coaching staff revved it up and said, okay, we're going to get them. And so you have a spiritual enemy that is a coaching staff himself, and he has players on the field. And he knows you. He's known you since the beginning of human existence, and he knows your number. And so we have an enemy. His name used to be Lucifer. It means morning star. Uh, he was the anointed, the Bible, and try not to be deep. He was called the anointed cherub that covereth. He was in the, in the, in the presence of the most high God. He was right there where, where the spirit of God is. And the spirit of God is everywhere, but he was right there where the spirit of God is in heaven and he covered. Um, the Bible says that um, God built him with all types of pipes. He, he was worship in heaven. And the Bible also says he built him in perfect beauty. And, and, and he was there and he served God and he led worship and he had all these amazing precious stones and he was amazing until one day scripture says Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, if you want to go home and read it, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, that pride was found in him. Sin was found in him. And his entire goal, and he convinced one-third of the heavenly host, in which the Bible says that the heavenly host is innumerable. So you can't even number the, the number of angels in, in heaven, but he was able to, able to convince one-third of the host. He deceived them through lies and deception. And his entire goal was to be greater than God, to be the most high. Satanism is this. Satanism is, I can live without God. I don't need God. I don't need his input. I don't need his word. I don't need Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. I am good without God. I don't need his wisdom. I don't need his instruction. That is when we are the most satanic, when we feel as though we can live without God. And that was Satan's sin. And so, come on, man, this is God. God is omniscient. You can't be going around heaven talking, hey, man, we're going to, hey, hey, sh- take this thing over. Yeah, God, God is hiding blessings from you. He, he, he just wants you to worship. And he, he's about to create a human breed that we're going to have to serve and be with in the garden. No, no, no. God, 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 God just has you over here, you know, doing the, the trees in heaven. You're, you're more than a planter and a farmer. And come on, I, when I become God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lift you up. Come on, come on. One, two, three, one third. We'll just, hey, hey, God, you don't need God. You can do much more than what you're doing. You don't need him. Come on, we, we can create our, our own heaven, our own life. Okay, okay, good, good. And it says he convinced through deception. One-third of the heavenly host. 
And Jesus comes on the scene in Luke 10, 18. He says this, Luke 10, 18, he says, yes, he told them. He was talking to his disciples. Jesus said this, because Jesus is Alpha and Omega. You know this, right? He's the beginning and the end. He says, I, this means Jesus was in heaven when he saw this. This is crazy. He says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Like, my father didn't even waste time with his punk behind. Just, <laughs> there's no war with Satan. There's nothing. He, he's a created being. He has no power, no authority over your life. And Jesus said, I, I saw it. I knew it. I said, Dad, man, just chill. I, but he, uh, all right, angels, let's. And then a whole slew of them came following him like, oh, my God, what just, what just happened here? And Satan cannot be forgiven. And, and so I, I don't have time to answer the question as to why God cast Satan on earth, right? A lot of us would ask in this big Milky Way galaxy in the entire universe, why earth? We're not going to address that today, but it is what it is. He's here and he cannot be forgiven. Revelations tells us, Revelations 12 tells us that he is here to make war with mankind. More specifically with those who hold the testimony of Jesus. So let me, let me clarify this. People say, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? God doesn't send anyone to hell without their permission. Because God has provided a way out through his son, Jesus Christ. You don't have to go to hell. His love is found in his son. His son was beaten, torn, and died for you on a cross. All you need to do is profess faith in him, receive forgiveness for your sin, and freedom from a life of sin. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says that I have come that you would have life and life more abundantly. So God doesn't send anyone to hell. Jesus went to hell for you and came back uh, through the resurrection. And so, but in Revelations, it tells us that, no, Jesus actually tells us in Matthew 25 that hell or the lake and fire and brimstone was created for Satan and his angels. It was only created for them. And so that's his destination. He can't be forgiven and he doesn't want to go to hell by himself. And on top of that, he wants your life to be hell on earth. And so what I want to do this morning is we're going to do some surgery without anesthesia. Um, I want to expose the opposition in your life. Satan's, no, we're going to do surgery on him without anesthesia, not you, <laughs> okay, on him. Because he, he doesn't want you to know this. And I wrote this sermon last night. I've been struggling so much because, in essence, we skipped a portion of Ephesians talking about slaves and masters. It has a lot to do with modern-day um, employers and employees. And I just couldn't get that thing in my heart that God wanted me to address that. And so I skipped um, to this verse, and we're going to do a mini-series within the series. So this is week one. It's entitled Exposing the Opposition. Week two, next Sunday, you're going to have to come back. It's going to be entitled Defeating the Opposition because God has given you weaponry and armor. The armor of God is what we're going to study next week. This week, we're going to expose the opposition that operates in all of our lives. Are we ready? Yeah. 
All right, I got three points about Satan, and I'm, I'm shivering in my boots because I'm, I'm not afraid of him. Anyway, so number one, covert. He's covert. He's covert. He likes to hide. Satan operates undercover. He likes to make it seem as though he's not present when he is. And so Ephesians 6, 12a says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities, watch this, of the unseen world. He likes to operate undercover. He's there, but he likes to make it seem as though he's not. Um, I was studying where, where thoughts come from. So you think, but you think based upon your knowledge store bank, the things that you think but original thoughts don't come from us. They don't come from our brain. What we do with an original thought or something that we never thought of before when it hits us is our brain takes it and it processes it in order to conform it to our life so that we can continue down a healthy route. So original thoughts don't come from you, but they come from somewhere. Scientists would say it's the metaphysical world. Um, spiritual people would say it's a spiritual world. So a thought like, hey, you need to go and jump off that cliff. What in the world? What are, what are you talking about? Or a thought like, um, it, it can just come. No one has ever told you in your life ever that you were ugly and you can just, I'm ugly. Oh my God, where, where did that just come from? That is a thought that comes from somewhere and it doesn't come from God. And so the scripture tells us that we were not against people. And Satan can use people, right? But Mostly, he communicates in the unseen world through our thinking patterns and through our process. His administration is minimal, but the impact is optimal. It's like when you get a shot for anesthesia. It, you get a, a pinch, and it goes in. It takes about two minutes, and finally kicks in. The anesthesia doesn't kick in immediately, but eventually it does. So Satan likes to administer his impact or his strike minimally, and then eventually it's optimal. So what, what, what's, what's a, a look or a little flirtatious um, thing at work, eventually Satan's agenda is for that to become an affair. Is that, we're good? Now, Genesis 3, 1 through 7 says this. The serpent, this is Satan, he is... Uh, possessed a snake, uh, was the shrewdest, shrewdest, means smartest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of these trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from trees in the garden, the woman replied. This is Eve. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it. Now, God only said you must not eat it. He didn't say this next part. God did not say you must not touch it. So Satan knows when you don't know the word of God. And he exploits that in your life. He knows the level of our ignorance. He's been here since the beginning, and he, he's covert. He, he likes to sneak into areas. And so she messes up with a misinterpretation of what God says, and she says, and you may not touch it. He didn't say that. See, and a lot of times we do that too. When we don't know the word of God, we set limitations on our lives that God never set on our lives. And so we mistake God and his character for who he is, and God truly didn't say that you couldn't do those things. 
So, and that's the problem with the millennial generation right now. I don't go to church. I don't love God because I can't have fun. Hey, actually, you're missing all the fun that you can ever have in life. You just need to give God a chance. And so, verse 4, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruits looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband. What in the world is Adam doing? Not being the man who was with her, and he ate it too. Oh, this looks great. At the moment, their eyes were opened, and suddenly shame, sin precedes shame. If there's an area of your life where you're shameful, it's probably because there's a residual sin there. And I'm not saying that this is a black and white sin. This can be pride. This can be a conversation that you need to have. This can be someone that you need to forgive. And the reason why you're ashamed is because there is sin embedded in that area of your life. And so there's a need to repent, turn to God, give it to him, allow him to heal it so you won't be ashamed anymore. And so this says this, at the moment their eyes were open, suddenly nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. This is salvation by works. This is, I go to church, I went for Easter, Christmas, and Mother's Day, God loves me. Or I, I gave $2,000 to a nonprofit organization this year, I'm going to write it off on my taxes so I can get a tax deduction. I did good, God loves me. This is salvation by works. The Bible says that your righteousness is as a filthy rags, meaning that you can only be saved by faith in Jesus Christ, not by anything good that you do. Now, once you get saved, good works should protrude and come from your life. But I, I want to pick up on Satan here. He does three things masterfully. Number one, he's covert. And if you're taking notes, you got to realize this. Satan will always encourage you to oppose the instruction of God. He's always going to encourage you to oppose or go in the opposite direction of the instruction of God. Number two, within covert, he's always going to make it seem as though the consequence of your disobedience is minimal. He's always going to minimize the consequence of your disobedience. Oh, it's not, it won't be that bad. Just, just try it out. Just, just cop an attitude with your boss. It's not going to be that bad. You're going to get his attention. Just, just, just curse her out. It's not, it's not going to be that bad. You know, you're going to get your point across. He's always going to minimize the consequence of your disobedience. And number three, he'll do this sometimes. He'll make it seem as though disobeying God is more pleasurable than obeying God. When you eat it, it's going to be good. You're going to be wise. You're going to experience something that you've never experienced before. So he won't appear physically, yet he will attack mentally. He can't force us to do anything, but he can coach us. He can't force you to hate your father, but he can encourage you to be bitter for him not being there. He can't force you to hate your job, but he can cause you to see your job as a burden instead of a blessing. 
One day you were praying for that job. At a certain day you were hoping or meditating or hanging upside down, whatever it is you do for that job, and you got that job. Now today it's a burden to you. He can't force you to lie, but he'll show you the temporary benefit that the lie provides. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about Satan. So don't be mad at me. I'm just showing you how Satan operates. He can't force you to sleep with somebody that's not your spouse, but he will encourage you in how great it's going to feel, how the experience is going to be, and how you've wanted to be with them for a while. He doesn't show you the, the soul and the stronghold and the emotional attachment. You become one with every person that you sleep with, even outside of marriage. He won't show you the consequences of it in your future. He won't show you that. He's only going to coach you and encourage you about the pleasure in the present time. He won't force you to hang with negative people. But he will encourage you to hang with neutral people that don't challenge you to go to the next level, that's happy with their careers and their eight to five, that's happy with their situation. He will encourage you to remain neutral. Man, I'd rather hang around some negative, gun-robbing, weed-smoking people than some neutral people because at least I know I'm not going that way. And if I become numb to effectiveness and to growth, I'm definitely not going to go anywhere. So the only group I have to hang with are the positive, the empowering people going somewhere in life. He won't force you, but he will coach you. He's covert. And I want, I want to expose his punk behind this morning because I am tired of people being bound by Satan. I'm tired of people being limited. I'm tired of people being in struggle. I'm tired of people having low self-esteem. I'm tired of people being broken. I'm tired of people being addicted. I want to expose him. Number two, got to understand that he is an opportunist. <laughs> opportunist. Ephesians 6, 12b says this, against mighty powers in this dark world. Is this good? Yeah. After 9-11, the FBI and the CIA labeled this individual as an HVT, a highly valued target. And um, the FBI and the CIA put a $25 million reward out for his head. And man, how many people know, I don't care how loyal your friends are, you can see that circle shrink if there's a $25 million reward out on your head. And then I think all the news um, outlets in America put two more million dollars on it. So it became $27 million. And... Um, it, it, it's interesting because they have been looking for this individual for 13 years. 24-hour surveillance. Secret Service would disguise themselves and get on the inside of the operation of Al-Qaeda. And um, eventually, uh, Al-Qaeda, they used to um, communicate through cell phone carriers. So it wasn't like an AT&T or, or, or whatever, Verizon, but just through private carriers. And so after about 10 years, the Secret Service picked up on one guy who was connected to their operation in Pakistan. Pakistan. 
And um, one day this guy got relaxed. And he made a phone call on his personal cell phone to a compound in Pakistan in 2010. And so um, they investigated it more at nighttime in this dark world. They would use um, heat-seeking cameras. And they noticed that this particular compound, which was about three, three floors, three stories, that there would be a tall, lanky man who would come outside only at nighttime. They watched him for a year, only at nighttime to stretch and to get some fresh air. And they wonder, why is he always coming out at nighttime? And so they see him go back into the compound, and he'd go up to the third floor where his bedroom was and the living room and TVs and all this stuff, and there were a few women in there as well. And so about on May 2nd, 2011, as the president and his administration and the generals are in this room, situation room, President Barack Obama makes the call. Go for him. So they send in um, four helicopters, Navy SEAL Team 6, top-tier dudes, to go in and take out Osama bin Laden. And we eliminated him off of the face of the earth that very night, and it was all linked to a moment of relaxation, a moment of compromise. And I, I just got to let you know that you are an HVT. You are a highly valued target for the enemy simply because God loves you and God has great plans for you. You are highly valued and the devil hates your guts. He hates you. He, he hates your kids. He hates your future kids. You are highly valued. Churches with the Spirit of God, where lives are being changed and, and people are getting set free from addictions and community is being created and people are growing in their relationships with God. Churches like this, churches like the many around here and across our world and across our nation are HVTs. Pastors, I am an HVT. Satan knows my vice. And so because Satan knows my vices, I keep myself accountable. My wife knows all my passwords. She knows all my accounts. I don't go anywhere alone. I try not to. I try not to be in a room with a woman by myself he, he, because I'm an HVT. If he takes me out, he gets to get to y'all at a certain level. And I can't let that happen. You're highly valued. He knows your potential. He knows your future. He knows your destiny. You're an HVT, and he's an opportunist. Now I want to show you this in Scripture. It says this here, Job 1.7. Uh, this is a very primitive time in history. Satan uh, came to heaven. Uh, where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan, because Satan came with a few angels. Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. You're talking about him and one-third. Satan meets with his generals, his commanders, his captains, his army, his secret service, all that. He's the man. He's the president. And what he does is he goes, he could be in France right now. I don't know. He, he could be in, in, in Baltimore. I don't, I don't, he could be in Charlottesville, Virginia. He probably is. That's where he is right now. Um, and so he, he goes around and he watches. And he incites things. Oh, you, you see what that black person did to you? Yeah, 
hate, hate black people. You see what that white person did to your people 400 years ago? Continue to hold on to that even though you weren't there. You see, um, yeah, be, be conscious. Yeah, yeah, go. Go do hookah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, smoke, yeah. drugs. He's been doing this since the garden. He's been doing these things since the beginning. And so we got to be aware. First Peter 5, 8 says this, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. The word devil means accuser. The word Satan means adversary. He opposes you in a covert way, meaning that he hates you so much that he will come alongside you and caress you to get you to do things that will cause you to grow further and further from God. That's how much he hates you. He's a deceiver. So he ain't going to just oppose you. He's going to, yeah, yeah. Be alert. Be alert. I got to finish this verse. And it says this, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The scripture doesn't say that he roars. So, Pastor, what are you talking about? He caresses me when I say he roars. It doesn't say he roars. It says like a roaring lion, meaning he's. Her dad's been dealing with alcohol for 40 years, and her dad's dad. Now, get, get her. Get her. He prowls around like a roaring lion. He's always looking for an opportunity to separate you from God's best. When you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you've been offended, that time when that person abused you, he's all he's. He's looking for you to ask, where was God? God was there. It's the reason why you survived it. Can, can God get some credit for your survival? But, but when Adam and Eve bit the fruit, we think it was a fig. It wasn't an apple. We opened the door for Satan to move into the world. At that point, Satan received authority in the world, okay? He's looking for an opportunity when you're weak, when you're on the mountaintop. So next time you're in a season where your bank account has great margin, he's looking for that as an opportunity for you to get further from God. Next time you're in a valley low, it's the time to worship the Lord. Last thing, Satan seeks permanent residency. Ephesians 6, 12c, breaking down one verse. <laughs> and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. In the heavenly places. Um. Heavenly places, so let me slow it down. Good time here. We have um, three heavens. Number one is the heaven you see, the, the blue sky and the clouds. The second heaven is 
space. The third heaven is the heaven where God resides. This is why we have black holes in our, in our solar system. And it says, you know, whenever anything goes into a black hole, it disappears. It never comes back. We don't know what's beyond space. Well, Scripture tells us, because Paul says in 1 Corinthians that there was a time where I was caught up in the third heaven. And I saw things that I can't explain. I heard things that I can't express. So he was called up in the third heaven. If you read the same chapter, I think it's 1 Corinthians 12, it says that Paul received a messenger from Satan. So we don't know if this was a sickness or a spirit that always kept Paul humble because Paul preached the gospel across three continents. And if you accumulate that much success for God, you need to be humble. If you've been to heaven, God needs to use something or allow something to humble you. So there is a third heaven where God resides. But when Satan was cast down, he was given dominion and authority from the second heaven all the way to earth. So the Bible says in heavenly places. Paul even calls him the prince of the power of the air. The air is nothing, but the air also carries sound waves. Where do thoughts come from? Satan talks and demons talk. And so heavenly places. So, but Satan isn't um, satisfied with that. He wants permanent residency in our lives. He wants permanent residency in our lives. And Satan is looking for that. And Jesus says this in Matthew 12. He says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert, seeking rest to find, finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty and swept in, in order. And the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. Then they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. This is what Jesus said. So Jesus said that God has provided an answer for our bondage, for our struggle, for our sin. And that answer is Christ. And Christ can clean house if you allow him to. But the issue is, is, is that a lot of us sometimes, and we have in the past, will come to church on Sunday We'll say, Lord, I give my heart to you. And then we go right back into the world. And then it's, it, a year later, two years later, three years later, we're still dealing with the same things, still the same mindset, still the same struggles. I'm a Christian. Isn't it supposed to be different? Why am I? Why is it worse? Because... We gave our hearts to Christ. We were filled with his spirit, but we're not allowing him to consistently fill us with his stuff, with peace, with joy, with deliverance, with life, with purpose. We give our hearts to Jesus back into the world. We're still struggling with the same things. And it's only because Satan has recruited seven more worse than him. And we've given him a foothold to oppress us. This is Jesus. I'm just the messenger. This is Christ. And so Satan, one way that he seeks to do this is through permanent residency. 
In, in Exodus chapter 3, it says that the children of Israel were in slavery for 400 years. That's a generational bondage. There came a point in my life where I said, I give my heart to Jesus. What my dad did, what my granddad did, what my great-granddad did, what my older brothers did, it stops with me. And he sets up residency for generational alcoholism, domestic abuse, divorce, low self-esteem, negativity, suicide. He seeks to set up residency. This is part one. But you don't have to create a space for Satan in your life anymore because of what Christ did on the cross. Next week, we're going to talk about how, because Paul started verse 10 by saying, live in the power. I didn't even address that. We're just going to expose Satan this morning. But when Adam and Eve bit that fruit, they gave the keys of authority to Satan. Jesus came to the earth, lived a perfect, sinless life. I'll, I'll show you how opportunistic Satan is. In the garden, before Jesus started his ministry, the first temptation Satan throws at Christ is to eat. Turn these stone into bread. And, and Jesus said this. Jesus corrected or filled in where Eve jacked up. He said, man shall not live off of bread alone, but off of every word. <laughs> because he was the word that comes out of the mouth of God. I'm getting chills preaching this right now. And so Jesus lives a perfect 30, does ministry for three years. He dies a sinner's death on a cross that he didn't have to, but he did it so that you and I could be free. He rose from the grave. And he said, Satan, thank you for those keys. I'll take those back. And then he tells Peter that I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Expose his punk butt. Might get me some spiritual attack, but it's all good because this is what I do. So we got to remember he is covert. He is an opportunist and he's seeking residency. Don't give him a foothold. So what I want to do this morning is give you an opportunity to receive Jesus. Let's bow our heads, church. I'm going to pray over this word. We're going to keep our heads bowed, and on the count of three, we're going to give people an opportunity to receive salvation. Let me pray first. Father, we love you, and we give you all the praise, and you're so good. God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for truth. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for freedom. Thank you, God, that we don't have to be bound to offense and unforgiveness Lord, thank you, God, that we don't have to be bound to our addictions and our strongholds. Thank you, Jesus, that you lived a perfect life for us so we don't have to be perfect.
we can just proclaim faith in you. Thank you, Jesus, that you took the keys of authority back from Satan. He had them for so long, God, but you now give them to us. And there's nothing that Satan can do to come against your church, to come against those that are covered in your blood. And God, I pray for blessing. God, I pray for deliverance and freedom. I pray for generational blessing. God, I pray that based upon the faith that we profess today, that our kids' kids would be blessed. Jesus, we love you and you are faithful. Now all heads bowed on the count of three. Don't let Satan talk you out of this. You can become a new creation today. Heaven can be your home. God loves you. On the count of three, just raise that hand. All heads bowed. One, two, three. Raise that hand high. Raise that hand high. Praise Jesus. You can put that hand down. Church, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Someone is going to heaven. Someone is going to heaven. <laughs> Come on, church. Come on, church. Repeat after me, church. Father God, we love you. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for dying on that cross for my sin, for my freedom. Father God, fill me with your spirit. Father God, I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God.